Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a very delayed episode of My Thoughts on Issues. I'm your host, Jason, of The Detailing Mind. Well, I imagine that everyone's probably at least a little surprised by the results thus far for the uh, 2022 midterm elections. Um, full disclosure, I had recorded this episode at least three times prior to the elections. The caveat is I thought I recorded it. Um, the last couple attempts that I had made, uh, apparently the app will um, stop the recording process whenever there's a phone call, and I didn't really realize it, so stupid me thought that uh, maybe I had just accidentally hit the stop button, but uh, on the third time around, I finally realized what was going on, so I basically had the whole um, three episodes worth of uh, content repeated in various formats, um, completely wiped from my recording, and it was just nothing but dead silence, so um, hopefully in this case, the fourth time is the charm. But uh, I thought I'd kind of go over the uh, midterm elections real quick and just talk about how there was a, a big November surprise, I think, for everybody involved. Um, I think the biggest uh, November surprise was that uh, came went to conservatives because they thought it was going to be a red wave. And it uh, turns out it's just a, uh, a red trickle. And uh, I think that uh, Democrats were also surprised because... From what I've been able to tell is uh, the damage is going to be pretty minimal. Um, I think they thought as well that there was going to be a red wave, especially given their lackluster, uh, um, I guess, uh, campaigning overall when it came to a lot of the, the uh, Democratic uh, uh, candidates. Uh, I kind of expected a little bit more luster out of them. But uh, I think a few of them here and there actually really kind of carried the whole party forward, uh, just as candidates. I think obviously it's the uh, the voters who really carried the party forward as they were limping along, uh, being stooges. So um, I think the Democrats were also surprised. I think they were expecting to lose both house both houses of Congress. Um, and as we're sitting right now, uh, the last time I checked, I think it was last night, I think it was like 48 to 48 in uh, the Senate. And I think right now, um, I think the Republicans have a 20-seat lead in the House. But I think the Republicans are still about 20 seats away from uh, gaining just the slightest amount of advantage. Um, so right now, that's kind of what it looks like is going to happen. Is it looks like that uh, Democrats are going to either hold the uh, the tie-breaking majority in the Senate, 50-50 with uh, the vice president being the tiebreaker, or they might gain one seat and be a 51-49 split. Uh, but as of right now, it looks like that there's going to be a very slight um, Republican majority in the House. And that's probably going to be, my guess, a 10-seat uh, um, I'm going to go with a 10-seat uh, above the break-even point 
for Republicans. So very slight margin of a, of a majority in the, in the House. Um, overall, I think that uh, both parties really lacked in campaigning. Um, I think that the biggest mistake that the Republicans did was they decided to, first of all, overturn Roe v. Wade and it was in the election year that for the midterms uh, um, and I think it was like that last ditch effort for them to kind of motivate their base to come out and vote for him because uh, you know a, it was a distraction from what was going on with uh, the investigations and the Trump and some of the other Republicans but also I think it was them trying to use that as a motivating tool to get them out and show them that they still have their interests at heart and I think it backfired on them. You know, they, I think it mo, it motivated, um, their opponents more than it did their own base. Um, and I think it actually made a small chunk of their base actually deviate away a little bit and start voting for others who they think aren't going to be quite so backward when it comes to such a, uh, a policy change. But um, I think overall, I think the Republicans' biggest uh, um, quagmire was trying to make it all about social issues. They focused hyperbolically on, on social issues, primarily around CRT and the quote-unquote gay or trans agenda. And it was very, it was basically a really negative campaign, you know. That's what it boiled down to, is it was just a very negative campaign. They were, you know, they spent their time demonizing it, people. And I think that kind of dissuaded people from trying to vote for them, you know, because uh, truth be told, I don't think people really enjoy overly supporting Debbie Downers. And I think that's kind of what the Democrat or the Republicans acted like in this midterm election cycle. You know, they were really just pumping the, uh, uh, hate mongering against certain people. And I think it kind of backfired in their face. And on top of that, I also think that, uh, the Republicans, they didn't spend any time actually coming forth with a very sound economic plan that would help people. They were so busy, you know, with their culture wars issues that they forgot to uh, really sit down and flesh out a, a comprehensive uh, economic plan that would help uh, turn things around. They did obviously uh, try to negatively uh, um, discuss the economics of this country, you know, mainly by, like, blaming uh, Biden and the Democrats for how things are floundering economically, okay, but, I mean, they didn't come out with any kind of comprehensive plan to say, hey, here's what we're going to do if we're in office to change it. It was just nothing but negative campaigning, you know, just their 
the their opponents were the only ones that were uh, faulty in, in things, and that's why everything was broken. But they never pro- provided any solutions. So I think that was another big uh, floundering on the Republican side. Um, on the Democratic side, once again, it was, you know, very dismal. They were very lackluster, you know. Um, they tried to, you know, do a very little bit amount of, um, Green New Deal advertising, you know. They paraded out their uh, compromised bill just a little bit here and there, but they didn't really touch on it. Why? Because they knew that uh, um, what little they did for uh, climate change and the Green New Deal, they offset by giving by making compromises with uh, the oil and gas industry, and there's more provisions in their uh, quote-unquote green uh, policy, uh, then there is actually green stuff, you know, there, there's more, you know, aid and there's more support for, um, oil and, and fracking and, and gas than there is for green energy. So, I mean, they didn't really, uh, push that. They didn't really push their, any kind of, uh, you know, an, an immigration policy, policy going to, when it comes to social issues, you know, they just kind of, you know, hid behind the the smoke and mirrors that uh, they were actually supporting and defending Trump's policies more so than they were advocating for reversing those policies and coming up with more humane situations. Um, a little bit of uh, pro-immigration uh, advertising that they did was that whole fiasco with... Uh, um, Ron DeSantis in, in Florida and his little uh, charade uh, um, basically kidnapping uh, refugees and immigrants in Texas and then shipping them up to uh, um, I think it's uh, New York State if not then it's uh, somewhere else in the Northeast you know one of those quote unquote liberal coastal elites areas um, via plane you know days before some of their hearings, which caused them to miss their hearings because they were falsely led to believe that they were going to those hearings or somewhere that they could uh, uh, continue on their process of becoming uh, immigrants uh, or uh, official refugees in the state, a.k.a. the United States. Um... So they didn't really push that at all. I mean, they just kind of let the uh, uh, their base kind of lead the whole party in that whole regard. But they didn't really uh, champion that and use it as a uh, springboard to really focus on what they have in, in mind. Uh, economically speaking, they didn't do anything when it came to inflation. They just sat there and remained quiet. They didn't try to defend themselves when the Republicans talked about how it was Biden's fault and the Democrats' fault for uh, giving all those, uh, all that bailout money, quote-unquote bailout money, to people during the pandemic. 
and they blame that for the the, the, the reason why there's a, a, an inflation going. Well, they should be championing. They should be defending that. They should be saying, you know, that for starters, it's not going to um, cause that much inflation. But more importantly, they should have been like, well, this is a sound economic policy that helped the average American. They didn't even they didn't mention that at all. They didn't they didn't come to their own defense and say, yeah, we did this to help bail out the American people, whether left or right, red or blue, or anything in between. They just remain silent on it. They remain silent on the child tax credit, which which helped reduce child poverty by like 50% in this country. And then they didn't stand up and defend the policy, and they didn't go after Republicans for uh, blocking its renewal. Once again, throwing that 50% that they did bring out of poverty right back into it. And then probably some extra here and there, you know. So it's probably a net loss that resulted by the child tax credit being dissipated. And they didn't tie in the whole uh, PPP loan forgiveness either with that or with the student loan forgiveness. You know, another sound economic policy, student loan forgiveness. They barely touched on that. Why? Because I think they knew that uh, if they talked about it too much, then the fact that it's been held up in courts across the country, primarily in red states, um, they don't want to talk about it, which I thought would be a very awesome talking point, especially if they wanted to help their Democratic candidates in those red states. You know, get the uh, get the talking points ready for it for those people in those red states. Be like, hey, you know, we're trying to reduce the average person's costs. One of those is even a measly $10,000 student loan forgiveness. Sure, it's measly from their perspective, but for a lot of people around this country, that's a lot of money. And they didn't they didn't champion that idea. And on top of that, they didn't go after the, the Republicans for blocking them in the courts. And they didn't go after Republicans for uh, being hypocrites, complaining about how... Um, it's an you know promotes an entitled, uh, spoiled mentality that uh, they can just be forgiven of these debts, but at the same time, Republican um, groups or organizations or uh, talking heads, if you will, whether they be the uh, Daily Wires or the uh, Louder with Crowder or the PragerU uh, online. Um, quote-unquote media outlets, they got their their PPP loans forgiven. I think Prager, you had millions of dollars forgiven. And you heard just a very brief bleep about it from the Democrats. You know, they, they like, I, I don't know, they, they, they just, they do like this one little quick punch, a, a quick jab that really kind of you know, forces their opponents to take a step backwards, you know, but then they don't keep, they don't keep boxing. They just kind of stand there, you know, it's like, you got to keep pounding this through. You can't just say it once and expect it to stick with most of the American base. 
whether left or right, blue or red. You have to keep reminding people that, hey, you know, Republicans are being the party of the rich corporate jerks. They're giving all these tax breaks. They're giving all these PPP loan forgivenesses to all these corporate entities. But they aren't doing it for the average person. You know, stand up for people like that, you know? And I think that if there's a little bit more of a fighting, you know, uh, personality or behavior amongst Democrats, I think they do a hell of a lot better than what they're doing right now, you know? Um, But we barely saw that. So I think there's really a lot to take away from this election. I think uh, neither side ran a very good campaign. Republicans, I think they focused on the wrong issues. And as a result, it hurt them to where they didn't get their red wave. And Democrats didn't fight for the things that they should have. They didn't fight for the right things. Um, they had some negative campaigning too. You know, they their whole their whole thing was, you know, well we're not Trump, we're not Republicans. Okay, well that that's fine, no duh. You, that's why you're the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. But you know, um, at the same token, you have to come up with positive, proactive policies, not reactive policies or negative uh, advertising. That's not going to work either. You know. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, the, some of the faults that I found in the uh, Republican and Democratic uh, playbook for this past midterms. Um, and, you know, both both sides played with fire, too, this whole, this, uh, whole uh, midterm election uh, season, if you will. Um, the Democrats, they, they played with fire in that they were... Uh, um, they were actually spending money that should have gone to propping up um, candidates, their own candidates, preferably progressive candidates, but they played with fire. They were spending significant amounts of their coffers propping up far-right Trump candidates. And you know what? They got away with it this year. But I don't think it's going to work in 2024. And to be honest, because it worked so well in 2022 here, I think that Democrats are going to do it again and it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. It happened in uh, 2016. Clinton and the Democrats were throwing some money here and there at the Trump campaign while he was still in his primary. You know, they wanted him because they thought he was the least electable Republican on the right. And look how that ended up. It came back to bite her in the ass, you know. They thought that, oh, they they support the more extreme, crazy guy. And uh, there's going to be a huge, whole-scale rejection of it, of him. And it didn't work. And it somehow worked here this year in 2022. And I think the Democrats are going to try it again in 2024 and it's going to backfire on them again. So they played with fire in that regard. And to be honest, they were also playing with fire when it came to their own um, candidates. 
they were pitting moderate or center-right diet Republicans, basically, over progressives. And that kind of backfired on them, too. There's this meme that is going around, and you can change up the text in it, but here's the general gist of that meme. It shows a guy walking, holding hands with a girl, but he's turning around and doing that, uh, oh sweet, she looks fine look at this other girl who's walking the other direction. Meanwhile, the girl he's holding hands with, his girlfriend or spouse or or, uh, partner or whatever, She's got that look, that disgusted look on her face that she's looking at him like, what the hell, man, I'm right here. That can be applied to the Democratic Party. Democrats, or the establishment, liberals, if you will, is the dude turning around and looking at the girl walking by with that sweet, sweet, ooh, look at her face. And who is that girl that he's looking at? Oh, it's just, you know, moderates or conservatives or, you know the uh, independents who they think are in the middle of the road that they want to appeal to the uh, you know the uh, the center left the, the center right candidates or, or uh, base the uh, the diet Republicans when it comes to conservatives meanwhile progressives are the chick that's given the uh, the dude the, uh, the the disgusted face like what the hell man what are you doing you know so that's that's kind of what what that meme can apply or can can be an analogy for when it comes to Democrats. They're so busy trying to court center-right, moderate, uh, you know, conservative light folks that they're just ignoring or downright tossing the progressive wing to the side. Democrats don't want to be a progressive center-left party, they want to shift slowly and slowly to the center-right. And that includes courting more moderates or people who might identify as conservative but not quite to the uh, far-right reaches that you see amongst the, uh, the conservative base in the Republican Party as of right now. So that's what they're aiming for. They're, they're trying to court those independents, those moderates. And it's not working. To be honest, I think really what happened was the progressive candidates in this uh, midterm election were the saving grace for um, Democrats. They were the dam that held back the red wave because they were the ones that outperformed all the metrics placed on their races. And it was the more moderate, uh, center-right, uh, dyke conservative libs that the establishment Dems are trying to be that really just kind of floundered, you know? I mean, that there were, uh, there were uh, districts, there were races that in 2020 went to Biden by 10, 20 points, and now they're barely squeaking by here in the midterms. It's because they keep going with these just, you know, run-of-the-mill liberal establishment types 
that are moderate or, or uh, slightly uh, conservative. You know, the, the Joe Mansions and the the, uh, the cinemas. So that's what they're playing fire with. They are playing fire with trying to transform their party. Oh, I can't really say transform a bit. Or you keep that party in the center-right, dyke, conservative, Joe Manchin-type uh, realm of things. And, you know, they, they I think they kind of got away with it here this year, but uh, in 2024, I think it's going to... I think that you'll see that red wave, that... that uh, that red trickle that we're seeing right now this year, I think it's going to break that progressive dam, primarily because the Democrats are not going to do any kind of upkeep on the dam, and as a result, that barrier is not going to be able to withstand, and you're going to see that red wave come in 2024. Um, and yes, you know, the uh, the Republicans are also playing with fire too. Um in that they are cont- continuously flirting with the idea of appealing to these far-right fascist subsects in their party. And I think that these subsects have gone got they've gotten a, a really strong hold on that party right now. And they're playing with fire. This is the same exact thing that happened in the Weimar Republic in the 20s and 30s following World War I. The conservatives thought that they could contain and and control and wield the zealousness of the fascists in Germany. They thought that they could control it, but in so doing, they let that monster out of the bag. And then they basically transformed into that thing. They they were forced to. They it was either you know, um, capitulate and adopt it, or basically uh, lose their power. So they chose power over uh, not having you know hateful, evil ideology. You know, and that's kind of where we're at right now with the uh, Republican Party. Conservatives, especially the establishment conservative uh, branch or faction of the Republican Party, you know, they're uh, they're trying to face, uh, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Are they going to join with their the more fascist elements in their uh, in their party, led by Trump, or are they going to try to? get back to the quote-unquote compassionate conservatism that we saw in the uh, the 80s and 90s. Um, I honestly uh, don't know where that's headed, but they uh, the the Republicans are playing with fire. They are they are definitely playing with fire when it comes to um, pro- propping up these fascist elements within their party and doing so at such high rates um and that kind of boils into playing with fire too because as they do that I think it's going to polarize the country more into you know what's going to happen are they going to go are people going to go uh and shift even more towards the left and and progressivism 
or are people going to shift more and more towards the right and into this extreme fascist ideology? You know, they're they're playing with fire. You know, and and it's uh, I think it's going to divide the country into something very terrible. And I think we're going to kind of see it play out here in the next couple of years. Especially here, once all of the races get decided, I think 2023 is going to be a, a powder keg. And the question is, is who and when will throw that, uh, that match into the powder keg? Because I think it's coming. You know, it's, we're very tense right now. Um, we are already seeing some of these fascist elements prepping themselves for lawsuits to continue the big lie. Mike Lindell is already on the, uh, on the, uh, the trail barnstorming around the country talking about how this is once again, a big, uh, democratic plot to, uh, uh, steal an election. So they're, they're playing with fire too, you know, um, Republicans are playing with fire by, um, adopting fascist ideology and the Democrats are playing with fire by, uh, um, just encouraging them. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're enabling them. And so that, that's kind of where the, uh, both parties need to really watch out before this gets out of hand. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my, uh, quick take there on, on what's going on with the, uh, with the election that, that thus far, you know, and, and how this midterm is shaping up. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about too regarding the midterm election is just kind of my experiences once again. I had mentioned it before. I uh, discussed the uh, the 2020 election experience that I had. I also mentioned that uh, my 2020 uh, election ticket, my ballot, looked like the second alternate jersey for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. For those of you who don't know what that means... Uh, for starters, the uh, Seattle Seahawks are a, uh, an American football team in the NFL. And their second alternate jersey is basically green with the predominant stripe being blue and some smaller stripes of like uh, gray and, uh, and uh, yellow in there. So that was kind of my, my 2020 ballot. I primarily voted Green Party. And then I had a couple of, a handful of uh, Democrats that I voted for. They were primarily in races that um, it was either a Democrat or a Republican that I could vote for. Um, And then I had a a couple of independents and even libertarian uh, candidates here and there spread throughout the... uh, um, the ballot as well. Uh, this year, it was kind of the inverse, to be honest. Um, 
it was their home jersey. It was the Seattle Seahawks home jersey. What was that, you might ask? That would be predominantly blue. Uh, with one stripe of green and a stripe of gray. And uh, so that was my uh, 2022 ballot. Unfortunately, yes, I will admit unfortunately, I predominantly voted for Democrats with uh, a vote here or there for a Green Party candidate as well as independents, a vote here or there. Primarily, the reason why is because on the ballot, um, to be honest, half of the races in my district there's only one person on it, and that was the Democrat, so I, I picked them, you know. Um, we'll see how they do. We will see how I feel about the Democrats in uh, 2024, because if uh, I'm not happy with them on the local, state, or federal level, then uh, I won't be voting for them. And uh, if they're the only ones on that, I'll just leave it blank, you know. So that was half of my ballot for uh, for the voting process. Was half of it was just Democrats and no re- no Republicans and nobody nobody else. Um, unfortunately, I think that's more of a, a fault on the Republican side than it is uh, the Democrats. You know, um, the de- Republicans cannot sit there and complain about. Uh, um, certain states being quote-unquote strongholds for the Democrats, but then not field candidates to challenge them, you know. Um, yes, California is a Democratic stronghold, but there's also pockets of very strong Republicans in the state. You know, build around that that uh, core there and use that as a springboard to, to um, infiltrate into the rest of the, uh, the state, you know. Secondly, look at New York State. You know, that's considered to be a, a quote-unquote Democratic stronghold, yet Republicans have made very, very awesome um, headway in that state. So I don't know why they didn't do it in the state of Illinois. They could have, but they just didn't, you know. So I guess they're thinking that Illinois is a lost cause or something, but, you know, it's that's their, that's their fault. You know, I, I can't go. I can't blame the Democrats fully for uh, um, not having a, a challenger. That's the, on the fall of the Libertarian Party or the Green Party, the Republican Party, or anyone that's considered an independent or in another party. So that that's on, that falls on them. But yes, I can also blame Democrats because that that develops or that codifies an attitude of complacency. They didn't know they don't have any challengers, so they're just going to sit back and uh, do nothing. You know? Now, maybe uh, what I could do is I could go and, uh, you know, strike up the uh, strike up the, the motivation to run and, and challenge somebody, maybe on a green ticket or independent ticket. Who knows? Um, but I... My calling, my, my career choice is not in public service, but... Uh, in the aviation industry. That's where my love is. That's where I, what I love to do. Um, sure, I love talking about politics. I do love talking. I do love politics in general, but it's not my main squeeze, you know? So, um, so that was half of my ballot. It was just, you know, 
deciding, do I really want to vote for these Democrats, even though they're, nobody's challenging them, and, like being, and being like, yep, I guess I will, I'll see how it goes. Um, and yes, it was a protest vote. Um, it was me making sure that the Republicans paid for what they're doing and making sure that they don't get to have the power to do it, continue to wield it in the ways that they've done before. Um, the other half of my, my ballot, it was primarily um, Democrat versus Republican. So once again, protest vote. I didn't want the Republicans to come in and start, uh, you know, wielding their crazy uh, power and their their uh, asinine ideology around. So I voted for the uh, Democrats. significant amount of Democrat versus Republican versus Libertarian choices. But I'd actually checked into the Libertarians and they were, you know, the typical Libertarian. They were just the the more uh, tinfoil hat version of uh, the Republicans, so I knew I wasn't going to vote for them. There were a couple of races where it was just Democrats versus Libertarians, but once again I picked Democrats. There was only like a couple of uh, one or two um, uh, races that had a, a Green Party candidate on there, and I voted for him. Um, unfortunately, when I had gone, and I had actually planned to discuss this in my earlier rendition of this uh, episode, but there was a significant amount of Green Party and Working Party or Socialist Party uh, candidates that were on the docket. I found a website where I could go through every single district that I could be, or every single race I could be voting on, given my district. And there were a significant amount of people who were part of the uh, Working People's Party or the uh, Socialist Party or the Green Party. And so I was actually, you know, really excited to, to go and vote. But then when I got there, they were all gone. They'd all been removed from the uh, from the ballots. So, um, yeah, I uh, I was pretty bummed about that. So I think that's kind of the big thing too is making sure that uh, in these strongholds, whether they're blue strongholds or red strongholds, we are able to get third party candidates or independents onto the ballot because I think it's downright crazy that a good chunk of my midterm ballot was either Democrat versus Republican or just Democrat and that's it. That was a good chunk of it. I think that would probably be like 90% of my ballot right there. That's nuts. You know, when we have a bazillion different uh, kinds of uh, toothpaste... 
not just different flavors, but by different uh, manufacturers, we should have more than two, more than three, even more than four parties that we can choose. And they shouldn't be like minor parties that you know are going to just get blown away every year. They should be significant parties that have a significant chance of winning. So, um, that was kind of my experience at the ballot box when it came to candidates to pick and kind of the frustration that I had surrounding the, the lack of choices, uh, the lack of diversity, if you will, in, uh, political parties. Um, the other experience that I had, just kind of the general process, you know, there's, there's this, um, talking point that conservatives are using, primarily being pushed by, uh, you know, people like Mike Lindell, but also those hard right-wing fascist types about uh, fraud in the election, the biggest one being in uh, Maricopa County, you know, how they ran out of paper for the uh, voting machines, and so that kind of drummed up a a renewed conspiracy theory about, uh, you know, the election being rigged. But, uh, you know, my experience, and I think this is the experience of most people, is it went smoothly, you know. Um, When I went in, just like in the the previous election cycle in 2020, when I went in to vote, I basically uh, gave them my, uh, my last name. If there wasn't, if there's some sort of issue in the system, they had it all automated. They had a little iPad kind of going into like a, um, one of those small mom and pop places. And you just pay using right on that iPad that you can swivel around and whatnot. Anyway, uh, that's kind of the setup that they had. That was all digi- digitized. But uh, I just told them my last name. If there's a snafu with the, uh, the system where they, something was off or incorrect... Show them my ID. Um, trying to remember what was incorrect about mine. Um, there's one thing that was off, but basically what happened was is I showed my ID and the the slight ch- I think it was like apartment one or I mean apartment two rather than apartment one something small like that on my address, you know, something insignificant. So they changed it right then and there, updated my, uh, my voter registration. And then I signed and that was my official, um, verification because I was already on file. And then they just marked me and they showed it to me. They marked me having voted. And then I saw somebody over in the corner who was going through and they had like a little uh, an old trapper keeper for, for those of you who used to collect uh, baseball cards growing up as a kid remember those huge trapper keepers with like the the, uh, the plastic uh, protective uh, sheets that uh, you could slide your, your cards into to keep them safe and keep them in mint condition well that's kind of what they had it was like a big trapper keeper and it was basically a page, pages and pages of all of the um, registered voters for that district. And so um, on one half, they had a sticker 
that you could unpeel and then you put it on the second half of the page and that signified that that voter, that registered voter, had voted. That way if somebody else comes in and tries to vote under my name, they'd be like, nope, says here on on the, uh, the digital app or the digital document that you already voted and it's double doubly verified with the uh, little almanac, uh, you know, voter card uh, trapper keeper uh, backup. So they had a way to verify that this was something that was not, uh, that there wasn't going to be any kind of fraud, you know. No one's going to sit there and try to uh, vote twice. So that was nice. You know, once again, that was redundancy, but it was also a repetitive redundancy. This is something I saw, you know, carried over from the previous election, and it worked out very well. Beyond that, I had the option of either using the machine or I could do the uh, paper ballot. If I wanted to do the paper ballot, I could go sit down in the cafeteria because this was being done at a, a local school, elementary school. Uh, I could go sit down at the, in the cafeteria tables. I could fill it out manually. Number two pencil, going back to uh, taking the ACT and SAT in high school. You know, fill in the bubble. And uh, if I wanted to, I could also use the, the, uh, the machine to vote, the, the, the touch screen. That's what I did again. 2020, I did it. And here in 2024, I, or 2022, I did it. You know, um, filled it out. You can leave it all, you can leave things blank. You can fill it in. There was one option where I could do like a ranked choice voting, I believe. Um, but I didn't do it because it was like a, a Democrat, Republican, and then a Libertarian. So I just voted for one person. Um, and then afterwards, once I hit the uh, finish button, I could go to the review mode. I could review to make sure that the uh, candidates that I picked were the ones that I actually picked and that the machine didn't uh, dweeb out on me and pick a different candidate. So I had the, ch- the chance to review it. And then... I had the chance to submit it, and then after I submitted it, I had the, the choice, or I had to uh, print it off, and then review it again to make sure that it uh, matched up with the uh, the digital copy. I did that with the, uh, with like a representative that was there, one of the uh, voter uh, aides brought to her. She had me review my uh, printout, make sure that it had all of the uh, choices that I had voted on. And then I fed it into the machine, into the uh, counting machine where a separate machine that counts it for us. And in that counting machine, it also can read the paper ballots if you choose to do it by hand. So two step process when it came to, uh, filling out the ballot, you know, one is the actual method of counting the ballot, or I mean, of making the, the ballot, uh, or filling it out, the other one was counting it, um, and so, there was two copies, two copies of the, uh, of the ballot, the digital one, and the, uh, handheld one, and there's two counting methods, the the paper ballots that they can store and then recount if need be. And there was the digital count, uh, count that 
was fed through the machine. Kind of looked like a printer, but in reverse order, you know, a reverse direction. Um, and that would count both the paper ballots or the uh, one that was printed off from the, uh, the machine. So all in all, it was a really good setup, you know. But then again, um, I know that uh, my voting experience may not be the same as everybody else's, you know. It may not be as nice and elaborate as that. There's other places and, and more uh, uh, red states or more that, that are in bigger cities or in, in more downtown areas that might not have the same access to the kind of voting experience that I had, which is, I think is horrible, you know. We sh- everybody in this country, whether you live in the middle of nowhere in rural Alaska, all the way down to the middle of the city, of LA or New York City should have the same exact voting experience, you know. There shouldn't be a, a, a such a wide range of experiences and quality of the voting system for people based off of where they live. This whole idea that federal elections should be uh, um, ran or mandated by each state individually, it's beyond me, but um, that's kind of where I'm at, you know, that that's my experiences, and I think it's, I think that uh, the direction that we're going, and at least in regards to the Democratic Party's idea of expanding voting rights, I think that's the way to go, you know, early, early voting, mail-in voting, day of voting, hell, even, uh, Make uh, make it a multiple day. You know, if, if we're not going to make it a holiday where people can get the day off in order to go and vote, then make it like a multiple day holiday. I mean, we do it for sports. We have, you know, baseball. Their initial uh, playoff rounds is best of three. Other sports, they do best of seven. Why can't we do... Uh, um, why can't we do like a three-day or a two-day uh, voting cycle? Day one, day two, day three, you know? I don't think people are going to go and change their vote based off of what the results are. And if people are that worried about it, then don't release the results until day after day three, you know? Just do the, the uh, post-vote uh, polling and see, you know, and ha- let all these... Uh, media let's uh, make their predictions from there so um that's kind of my thoughts um i hope you all enjoyed this uh, very much delayed episode of that he's silly in mind and i hope you have a good rest of your week and uh, a good weekend take care <laughs>